one of the really great things is to be able to grow more seeds that are from home so other Africans here can have access to them because it's there's something about holding that plant you know live or or fresh that makes it makes such a massive difference and it's it's comforting because you're not home it's like it just takes you back home and it just makes you feel like okay I can be happy in this place. There is a possibility that I'm not home, but I can find happiness here because I'm surrounded by the things that remind me of home. I was just whacking it Welcome back to Seas and Their People. I'm Chris Bolden Newsom, farmer and co-director of Sankofa Farm at Bartram's Garden in sunny southwest Philadelphia. And I'm Owen Taylor, seed keeper and farmer at True Love Seeds. We are a seed company offering culturally important seeds grown by farmers committed to cultural preservation, food sovereignty, and sustainable agriculture. This podcast is supported by True Love Seeds and now also you. We are so grateful to the 32 of you who support our seed keeping and storytelling work through our Patreon at patreon.com slash trueloveseeds. Thank you so much to Corey and Ash, our most recent patrons, and thank you to all our Patreon members and all of our listeners. Here's a sweet note from Tori in Detroit. I listen to these while I farm at D-Town, and they always help connect me to the wider impact of what I'm doing. Thanks for sharing the stories and the seeds. Thank you, Tori. This episode features an interview with Halima Salisar and Drea Price of Just Stevia Teas in Water Valley, Mississippi. Halima and Drea grow Nigerian and Southern Black heirlooms for our seed catalog. We first connected through Lydia Koltai, who gets a shout out in this interview. In early 2020, Lydia found us through our connection to Soulfire Farm and had ordered some of our seeds to create an ancestral garden. She told us we had to meet Halima and Drea. It was a perfect connection because we were looking for farmers to take on some of our southern heirlooms and our West African seed crops. And of course, to do so from a place of deep ancestral connection. And since they live just a couple hours north of our family in the Delta, we get to see them when we visit. So, Chris, what were your reflections on this episode? Well, I thought it was a very beautiful episode, and it probably is, uh, you know, one of... Probably one of my favorites, surprisingly, uh, to me, with all of the episodes and interviews that we've done over the years. Partly, I really liked it because it was in Mississippi, of course, and and we love uh, most things Mississippi, you know. And and I really, I really appreciated, you know, you could hear the sounds of rural Mississippi in the background, the sheep and goats and the roosters and 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 everybody. So that barnyard life, uh, and just knowing that it was coming from my beloved Mississippi, that for me was was very beautiful you know and then there were definitely different parts of this story that uh, I really appreciated and it gave me some deeper insight to the work that that Sister Halima and Drea are doing and to 
just the work in general that's happening in Mississippi around food sovereignty and ancestral reconnection. I really appreciate it hearing Sister Drea talking about getting the purple hull seed um, for her mother who lives in the north. You know, we Mississippians tend to go to Chicago or the points west, very different than, than black folks here in Philadelphia who come from the east coast south. And so there's a huge Mississippi and Louisiana diaspora in Chicagoland. And so it just was very powerful and made me really well up inside to hear that her mother would have no other bean but the purple hull pea. And she's living in the north and, and ask her constantly to bring those peas and to start growing them. And so the fact that she's growing those peas and, 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 and also for me, it felt really powerful because I had something to do with that. Just the thought that one of those seeds, maybe all of them, who knows, were seeds that had passed through my farm. So it was this beautiful circle of rematriation that happened that I just thought was so powerful that I got to receive seeds from Mississippi from my elder, uh, Duck and Earl in Shaw, Mississippi, grow them out up here in the north and then send them back to Mississippi so that Sister Drea could grow them and send them back up north. You know, there's sort of a beautiful cycle there. So there was so much, uh, you know, I think in this interview that that really stood out to me uh, and that I think is really, really going to be pleasurable for folks to hear, particularly anybody with any connections to the South. I will say that I also really love hearing Sister Halima talk about the connections between uh, West African food and African-American food in the South. And, and of course, Sister Drea also uh, weighed in on that. And not just the food, you know, not just the similarities. And, you know, they, they spent a good long time on the various different black IPs, of which the honeybean is also, you know, in that same tribe. They didn't point that out, but I wanted to go ahead and shout out the honeybean for the Vigna tribe, same as the black-eyed pea and the purple-hole pea and the crowded pea, and just hearing that not just the food, but also the food ways, how we eat the food, you know, a little bit around, you know, sort of some of our rituals and ideas around those foods when they're served, you know, the importance of red drink throughout the black South, and that that is being something that has definite and and still existing roots in uh, Mother Africa, where we come from. I just thought that was really, really beautiful. And then finally, of course, that beautiful shout out that Sister Halima gave to you, Owen, that was, of course, beautiful and well-deserved, you know, for all of the work that, that, that you are doing in response to how the spirit prompts you to move uh, in the world of food and farming. So, yeah, I just think it was great. And I think everyone who listens to it will be blessed. Yes, we love each other. <laughs> In early June, right after we finished planting our fields up here in the Philadelphia area, we took the train down to Alabama with our little family and drove across Mississippi to visit family in Greenville. During that trip, I also drove to Texas and back to see more family and friends in Austin. Towards the end of our time down there, I took a day trip by myself. Yes, that was my uh, turn to get COVID, and so um, you were so long, which I guess is good because um, you missed the COVID. Yes, and but, but we wished you were with us uh, and glad that we're all fine now. Anyway, I took, the day, took, <laughs> I took the day trip up from the Delta into northern Mississippi to meet Halima and Drea to talk about their beloved plants and their work. The entire time we were down there, the temperatures were in the upper 90s. It was hot like in Nigeria. 
even when we were talking in the shade on the deck, and especially later in the greenhouse. Enjoy the conversation. Well, I am really glad to be here with both of you. I am down here in Water Valley, Mississippi, and sitting on a porch in the heat (laughs) with two amazing farmers and herbalists and their ducks and chickens. (laughs) Can you actually introduce yourselves to the people listening? Um, I'm Drea Price, and I live in Oxford, Mississippi. It's about 45 minutes away from here in Water Valley. I call this area the armpit of Water Valley because it's outside of the city. And if you're not with like the major phone companies, you don't have service. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Halima Salazar and I live here in Water Valley and all the ambient animals are mine. (laughs) And I'm originally from Nigeria and I'm a farmer and a chef and a tea maker. (laughs) How would you describe yourself and your work? Definitely a farmer, tea maker, of course, a baker. Halima has given me that title recently, and I'm (laughs) wearing it. I'm putting on my my baker's coat and hat, and just uh, a lifelong student of nature. I feel like every day I'm learning something new. Nice. And you have uh, deep roots in this area, is that correct? Yes. So my mom's dad is from Missouri originally, but his mom and family were from Mississippi, They lived in Grenada, which is about another 45 minutes from Oxford, probably like 20 minutes from here. here, So it's just nice to come back. I actually didn't know that I had roots in Mississippi from my mom's side of the family until I was grown. On my paternal side, they're all from Oxford. So I can go to Walmart at 3 a.m. and I see like 18 cousins. (laughs) (laughs) So I have, I know everyone here almost. Um, But you didn't grow up here, is that right? No, uh, well, kind of. I moved here from Chicago when I was seven. So we had like a a slow, great migration over a couple generations to get to Chicago. And we came back because my parents said Oxford would be a great place to raise kids. They still get backlash about that. Um, (laughs) And eventually everyone moved back except me because I was in school when they started moving back at Ole Miss. And so... Once I graduated, I just kind of stayed and hung out because I met Halima and we started farming. So it was a very organic flow into staying where my roots were. Yeah. Beautiful. And how did you end up here, Halima? My husband and, and me and the kids moved back to Nigeria probably seven years ago. While we were there, I started, I hadn't been home in, gosh, over a decade because I originally came to go to college here. And when I went back, it was like, I just wanted to swallow Nigeria and swallow the soil and the culture and I wanted to learn everything about it and I was a lot older so all the things that I was not bold enough to do when I was younger I was able to just go there and do so I went to culinary school there I went back to my um to the village where my mother is from and I visited my grandfather's farm and I looked at everything and I thought gosh this is all just calling me back And so I started farming a little bit at home, thinking I would kind of interlock the farming with the cooking together. And then I had to come back to the U.S. because I didn't have my citizenship. (laughs) 
And it was becoming a problem because they kept telling me every time I crossed the border, oh, you can't leave the country for too long because you don't have a citizenship. You can't leave the country for too long. And so finally I was like, okay, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get my citizenship and I'm going to go back home because I have so much to go do at home. And then at the time that I was coming, I came back, my husband's job called him back to the U.S. His company wanted him to come to Mississippi. And I was like, where's Mississippi? <laughs> and we were like, we don't want to go to Mississippi. And they were like, you should just, just go and see how it works out. I got here, it was hot. And I thought, well, that's great because I love the heat. Didn't want to be in a cold area. And so we moved here and I thought, okay, well, in about six months to a year, we'll leave and it'll be great. And then I met Drea. <laughs> and then I met Mr. Brown. I met Drea. And then I started farming. And it just felt so, it's just like she said, so organic. It's like, yes, I wanted to do all of that in Nigeria. But the way the flow of our relationship and working the soil and getting to grow seeds for true love that that I've been you know that 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 have been so personal to me everything just kind of came together and I thought well I guess this is the place that's calling me yeah <laughs> so I stayed beautiful so can you describe more that time when you kind of met each other and how you decided to do this project and and what it looks like mm-hmm. yeah so we actually met on a day very similar to this. Yeah. It was extremely hot. <laughs> and we met probably like two miles up the road at Mr. Brown's farm. So I came out that morning because Mr. Brown told me Dr. Frank was coming out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Frank is a amazing scientist that focuses on mushrooms at Alcorn State University. Mm-hmm. So I came out, met him. We talked about mushrooms he left and so I was getting ready to leave Mr. Brown was like well hold on I have this this African lady coming to look at my goats <laughs> I was like okay I'm not interested in goats but of course I'll stay you know I may as well meet everyone the same day and it was Halima and her family they came out and so we looked at goats <laughs> she didn't end up buying a goat but not. we looked at goats we went in the house conversed and Halima and I came up with a plan we were like well why don't we come out you know once or twice a week help out on the farm, you know, see if we like it. It was my first experience farming. And we tell people once you start coming out here regularly, you don't really stop. Yeah. (laughs) As you can see, Halima lives here. Exactly. (laughs) Who is this Mr. Brown, you all? I mean, I've met him, but can you tell the listeners who's Mr. Brown? What's his deal? So Mr. Brown is an incredible, incredible farmer. His family has been farming on this specific land for at least since since right before post enslavement right like right because some of the land that was given to i think his grandmother was given to her by the family that raised her and i think that they were a white family that that raised her i I think she might have been related to them and so Mm -hmm. they gave her the land and that's how so there's actually a house on the property that's about 300 years old. And so his family, have been, they've been farming here for generations. And he, when he was younger, went to Alcorn State University. That's who um, we also work with right now. Went to Tuskegee to get his master's and then came back to the land because he wanted to, it didn't seem, I guess, like maybe there was any member of his family that was, you know, going to take over and kind of, you know, keep the land going. So he came back and started his journey of trying to keep the land in the family and trying to 
leave a legacy. And so yeah. when we showed up, Dre and I, I think he thought, wow, these girls here are willing to learn and they're, you know, they're they're able to, you know, take in all the knowledge that I can pass on to somebody else. And so for the past three years, it's like, it feels like we've been in, in, in a university. We're just mm -hmm. constantly learning from him. Even the melons, the egusi that we learned how to grow, he's the one who taught us how to help it retain moisture, just mm -hmm. everything that, that 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 we've learned we've learned from him and one of the things that really helped with for me is <laughs> my animals in nigeria there's no growing season and so usually when you're farming you just put food in the ground usually you put food in the ground and then you move it around and then you take care of it well here you have to learn it's like all the plants have personalities here <laughs> you know you're like oh hello indigo what do I do to you today? I'm going to soak you for a few hours and then I'm going to put you in a little container. And then when you're old enough, I'm going to put you in the ground. And then you meet another plant like hibiscus. You're like, oh, hi, you have to scratch me and then put me in the ground. And it's just it's just all these things that we've learned from him and just from the community of farmers that we know has just been absolutely incredible. Yeah. So that's Mr. Brown in a nutshell. Nice. And how would you describe your business and what you grow and where it goes and who it's for? That is a very big question because yes. <laughs> anytime we have time to sit and think about something for more than 15 minutes, we're like, let's start an LLC. Exactly. <laughs> Another one. <laughs> so just Stevia is the first one that we started together. She's our, our baby. I guess she's a toddler now. She's she really is. growing up. Yeah. So Justivia is an herbal tea company. We grow all of the herbs, all of the processing and packaging and handling comes from us. So we like to say from seed to sale, from initial plant to final product, it all happens through us. So we make herbal teas using hibiscus, mint. Mokiil, calendula, mm -hmm. chamomile, lavender, all the different varieties of mint, pineapple mint, yeah. apple mint, spearmint. Um, and stevia. Yes. That's actually how the tea company started. Yeah. I had never tried stevia before. And two years ago, we grew stevia for the first time. And we're just growing it. And I'm, you know, we're, we're repotting it, taking it to the market for months. And then just randomly, I thought, I'm going to try. Did you tell me to try it? I think so. So I, I, I tasted it and I could not... <laughs> I could not believe how sweet this green leaf was. Mm -hmm. I'm like, my brain couldn't, uh, 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 the whole, it's green and it's this sweet just could not come together for me. And so I went home and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And it was during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Couldn't stop thinking about it. So I called Drea. Well, because I thought tea, I, I thought it's sweet. I thought tea. I thought about all these mints that we're growing. I thought about how we go to the market. We we sell out of a, a, a university town, and so we cut herbs for university students because they don't have kitchens or they don't have they, they're not big cooks, so they can use fresh herbs, and then they don't have to like grow a plant. And so usually when we're done with the market, we'll take the herbs and throw them away. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, gosh, this is like a whole recycle situation. If we dry these herbs that we're, and we're not throwing them away, and we mix it with this stevia that is so sweet, it'll make an incredible tea. So I called Drea, I was like, Drea. She was like, what? <laughs> I was like, let's start a tea company. Andrea is like the 
coolest person on earth she was like okay <laughs> and as soon as you tell Drea as soon as I, I get an idea and I tell Drea it's like she's like a computer like everything just computes and it gets organized and before you know it's like standing in front of you and it's like she went into my brain dug out the idea and just is like here you go this is what it looks like and that's how Justivia started it's it's just been amazing and now we're selling we sell out of the oxford market and we sell out of uh, there's a local organic store out in oxford called chicory market and we sell out of there as well it's it's been it's been incredible yeah and one of the reasons we started justivia like halima said it was during the pandemic it was september of 2020 and if you guys remember that year it was an interesting year of yeah. us sitting at home making sourdough <laughs> making sourdough <laughs> you know eating our favorite comfort foods and i think that year a lot of people saw their like progression into a healthy lifestyle kind of slow down or yeah. stop and so living here in the south sweet tea is such a big cultural thing yeah it's probably like the first drink outside of milk and water that kids get i've worked in a couple of different restaurants and you we sweeten the tea so much. And I see people put it in their baby sippy cups. And I'm like, that is going to hit their bloodstream instantly. <laughs> yeah. And so I was really gung-ho to start this tea company because it was a way for us to combat that sugary, syrupy, sweet drink, but also offer an alternative that would, you know, still fill the gap. Mm-hmm. So it's still sweet tea, but with no added sugar, you know, safe for diabetics, safe for children and with some great properties because it's made from herbs. Yeah. That's beautiful. And if I'm remembering correctly, your herbalism is kind of something that you've inherited from family members that you grew up with. Is that is that true? Yeah. So my grandparents have had gardens. Well, they had gardens when I was younger. As they've gotten older, they're not as into it, even though I kind of pester them. But they were always looking for ways to heal their bodies from the land to use what the what was growing around them to fix, you know, any ailments they had or any ailments that we had as kids. So it's nice to be able to go back to that, to to grow these plants and to say, you know, oh, this is good for this. If you're having digestive issues or you need help with some of this, why don't you try some ginger or some mint? And these are also things that we incorporate into our teas. Yeah. And this is at a time when People are turning to teas, but maybe for weight loss, like the skinny detox teas. And so people are like, oh, what will this tea do for me? And it's like, it's not a meal replacement, but you can use it, you know, to reach some of your health goals. It's not going to make you lose weight or anything. And that's something that's important to me because I studied nutrition at the university. I just got my, well, I didn't just get it, but I got my master's in nutrition last year and so selling tea at a market while people are looking for detox teas is a moment for me to educate people on the nutritional benefits of different herbs and and how to reach your health goals safely and not depriving your body of what you need yeah how has that been going that that educational piece in Mississippi, in this part of Mississippi at this time, I couldn't help but notice, and, I, and I'm, and i of course, not from here, but my in-laws are down a couple hours south in the Delta, and I was trying to find something on my way here to eat, to drink, and I was having a hard time yeah. finding something that was a whole food. So I'm just curious what the, how that work has been going for you 
and also just want to say that it seems like, you know, as important as ever. And it's awesome that you're doing that. Thank you. It is a little difficult because we live in an area where you where people get their lunches from gas stations and the gas stations only offered fried foods like there's pizza sticks and chicken tenders you're not going to get you know even a side of green beans which is the south's favorite vegetable to reach for so the the education component it's it's one of my favorites but I also know that education alone isn't what's going to fix the problem there are systemic issues that need to be resolved and you know I can't build a, a grocery store and help people have access to fresh produce but I can educate them on what the fresh produce will do for their body when they do have access to it. And I worked in a community called Mark's. That's about 40, well, I guess everything's 45 minutes away, but it's about 45 minutes from Oxford. They used to not have a grocery store. They had a Dollar General, and if you've ever been in the Dollar General, it's packaged foods and drinks. Some of them are starting to get, like, frozen produce, but before then it was, like, canned ravioli and things that they couldn't have and I think they recently got a grocery store but before that they would have to drive 30 minutes to the nearest grocery store but it was a a food apartheid it was a community that didn't have access to anything and it was also an older community so many of them didn't have cars and their children had already moved away and I was volunteering at a food pantry so those monthly handouts may have been all that they could get I remember there was a lady there She said she did get food stamps, but I think she got $12 a month. And, you know, that won't stretch at Dollar General. So this just underlines the importance of the vision you all have and the work that you all are doing here. And it's part of why I'm just so excited to know you all and collaborate, (laughs) because it's just, you know, between having a mentor like Mr. Brown, who's held on to kind of traditional sustainable agriculture practices and pulling from your nutrition nutrition background and from your farming background and from multiple cultural kind of locations it seems like an awesome recipe for something amazing what is your kind of vision for how it's going to (laughs) grow we have big dreams we (laughs) we do so our goal is to have enough land that we are able to grow seeds for you because that's that's one of the biggest we 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 all we both have like our little favorite things that we do and we love everything so much but the seed keeping is so it's so incredible for me because as a foreigner coming I came to go to college about 22 years ago I think I'm old (laughs) Julia's like what (laughs) but yeah about 22 years ago and when I was in here in in the U.S. at that time, there were not a lot a lot of like international markets or international stores or anything. I went to school in Abilene, Texas, and for us to grocery shop, we would pile into someone's car and drive all the way to Dallas, find a store, and then everything was so expensive. So we would like sometimes each say, "Oh, you buy this, and I'll buy this, and you buy this, and then we'll pull money, and then we'll get home, and then we'll cook a big meal." You know, that's actually one of the, one of the other ways I got into cooking, and I, I became like the go-to person to. Okay, Halima is going to cook the meal this time, and Halima is going to cook the meal that time. Is we would all pull, and then everybody would kind of get their food together, and we'd have gatherings where we'll have food, and everybody will come, and we'll all just eat African food that day. I know, okay, we're done for like two months. 
you know, and then having access to like a goosey or a wedu or all of that was such a dream because it'd be dried and you have to rehydrate it or it didn't even exist. Mm -hmm. And so one of the one of the really great things is to be able to grow more seeds that are from home so other Africans here can have access to them because it's there's something about holding that plant you know live or or fresh that makes it makes such a massive difference and it's it's comforting because you're not home it's like it just takes you back home and it just makes you feel like okay I can be happy in this place there is a possibility that I'm not home but I can find happiness here because I'm surrounded by the things that remind me of home and so seed keeping is a big one mm -hmm. and then we also would like to bottle our teas it's a that's another big one for us so our teas have been doing really great but we also have like people who go oh how do you brew it what's the best way to brew it how long can I brew it we met a lady at a market we did a few weeks ago and she said you know I take very long trips and I would love to just make a giant bottle put it somewhere I don't want it to get bad and then I can just drive and have this tea to drink the whole time so she bought like five bags but then if we had bottles we could just she could just buy like a, a box of bottles you know put it in the fridge dump it in her car and then drink as she's driving mm -hmm. so one of our big things is we want to bottle our teas and then Drea and I I think because she has that nutrition background and because I have that immigrant background I'm constantly seeing problems and we're constant, constantly thinking, okay, how are we going to solve this problem? What are we going to do? We had an event about two weeks ago and the event was for, the organization was trying to raise money for a community kitchen. Mm -hmm. And when we got there, almost everyone there was black. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we looked and we thought, wow. So... Oxford is a college town and you know they're pretty affluent people there and most of the restaurants there that are extremely popular are owned by white people and so we thought well it's because black people don't have access to money they don't have access to inherited wealth so how in what way and in what world are they going to go oh I, I need to, I want to be able to get a commercial kitchen so I can start you know serving the foods that are cultural to the people that are cultural to me mm -hmm. how are they going to do that and so one of the things we thought was because that's our dream is to have a commercial kitchen is at some point we want to have a store where we can sell our plants that we're growing and where we can also have food that we're cooking and then also give the opportunity to other black people and other just everybody else who's different you know who doesn't look like the the way you when you have a picture of somebody who owns a restaurant where it's not a white man who's anybody who does not look <laughs> like that can have access you know to come and cook at our kitchen so more people can experience there's so many different cuisines that are cultural to so many people that people don't even know that they're you know how people go the people are all into doing their dna's right now mm -hmm. and they're like oh did you know i'm like part congolese or i'm part german or i'm part and there are people from all those countries scattered around mm -hmm. well if those people had access to cook the foods of the the countries that they're from and the cultures that they're from then everybody will have access to try it and I completely believe that with that, we can become more open-minded mm -hmm. because that's one of the ways I think we can combat, I don't know, racism and, and prejudice is if you try my food and my food is great, then maybe you're not so bad and maybe you do have something to offer me. Mm -hmm. That's my little thought. <laughs> Drea. 
And I will also say food is is such an important thing, especially here culturally in the South. It's the way people connect. People are like, oh, my grandma has the best recipe for this. Or, you know, my mom used to make this whenever I was sick. And working at the farmer's market, we often see so many black people that come and stay for a short time because they don't have access to a commercial kitchen. And once you grow so much, you can't work out of your house. Mm -hmm. And um, at least with the laws here, if you're cooking out of your kitchen, it's considered a cottage food operation. So you can't like sell your food outside of the farmer's market, um, you know, for a profit. And so with access to a commercial kitchen, we're giving black people and well, people of color in general, that opportunity to share that deeply culturally relevant part of them yeah. with everyone else here. That's really beautiful. I cannot wait to see how that takes shape. We can't either. <laughs> <laughs> well, I asked Chris, who couldn't be here today, unfortunately, what questions he had for you all. And this might, we might be getting close to that here in this conversation, talking about the importance of cultural foods and sharing across cultures. And his question is, where have you noticed kind of overlaps between West African and Nigerian specifically cuisine and foodways and southern black foodways i mean we're screaming gimbia's kitchen here (laughs) (laughs) it's just screaming So let me tell you about the second llc that we started (laughs) so that is called gimbia's kitchen she really is our newborn (laughs) when did when did we start that very recently recently, probably this year actually and we're only in june june so gimbia's kitchen is a mix of so many different things, but it's a way for Halima to share her heritage and trace the foodways from West Africa to basically my heritage here in the southern U.S. So we've done pop-ups with different restaurants in town, and right now we do monthly pop-ups where we pre-sell plates to people and they pick them up at the farmer's market. So we're trying to, you know, get more people at the farmer's market to meet the other vendors, but also share the story of how this dish from West Africa, which seems so far away, transformed into what they eat regularly here in the in U.S. and in Mississippi. Yeah, that has been really eye-opening because one of the dishes that we made a few months ago was the Nigerian fried rice. And when we made it, someone came up to me and said, this is like dirty rice. (laughs) And then you think about gumbo. And a lot of people think gumbo, because it's Creole, came into the U.S. as an influence from France. But it didn't. Mm -hmm. Gumbo is African. Okra is African. And the name is actually African. Yes. Okay, so I was listening to a book on the way here, The Potlicker Papers by John T. Edge. Oh, okay. um, Shout out to the SFA <laughs> and the Southern Food Alliance. Um, and, and their podcast, Gravy, which is awesome. Yes, yes, it is. If you're not a member, y'all are missing out. This <laughs> isn't a paid promotion. I'm just letting y'all know. <laughs> Get into it. <laughs> but um, John T. was talking about how with great Creole cuisine in New Orleans, People were like, oh, it has Spanish and Italian and French influence. And people at the time were like, that's crazy. It has all that influence. But the people you see cooking it are black. You don't, any great kitchen that's here 
there are black people. So you can't tell me it has all this influence and you're not naming the African influence. Yeah. Okay. That's exactly. That was my, my two cents. I was cents. listening to it on the way here. And I was like, <laughs> he is making points. <laughs> but yeah, so one of the one of the big things that we're we're trying to do is kinda go like backwards. It's like people people always ask me what was going on over there while we were over here and what was you know, what was happening there and did you guys know what was happening here? Did we know what was happening there? And so we're trying to tell that story with our food. You find things like hush puppies, and then, you know, we have akara, you have dirty rice, we have the Nigerian fried rice, you have uh, black eyed peas. You know, we had last, this last Christmas, I went to go visit uh, an older lady that grew up in, um, in Louisiana. And um, she had like black eyed peas and greens and rice. And I looked at that dish and she said, you want to make your plate? And I was like, sure. And it was incredible. But I'm staring at it and no lie, if you had just added a few ingredients, that dish would have been West. Like it literally would have been come, probably come out of my grandmother's kitchen. And so I just look at Southern food and I think it's screaming. It's just screaming Africa. So I thought, well, if we start making West African food, and people start eating it, as soon as they put it in their mouth, I imagine that the first thing they will think of, because everyone has, I always tell this thing, I always say everyone's palate has a memory. Mm -hmm. Like even if you haven't tried something before, your ancestors have given you that memory. Mm -hmm. And so if you try it, it will remind you of something. And so everything that I make or that we make, I always think they're going to eat this and they're going to sit down and they're going to go, okay, this reminds me of this thing that my grandmother made or my aunt made or my uncle made and it will bring them back home and through that it will connect them to where I'm from, you know, and so they know, okay, she's really, everything that she brings here and everything that she is, is from where we're from, you know. So the whole idea with our with our pop-up is we, we say the journey is um, my food comes from no. Your your food comes from where my food comes from because it literally is where my food comes from. You know, everything, every way that we cooked in, in Nigeria and in Western Africa, when the enslaved came here, all they did was replace ingredients that they couldn't find to change the recipe. It's still the same basic recipe. It's still the same basic ingredients. They just switch things around so it will create a, the texture. It's in finding that flavor and that texture that other things were added, but it's still African at its base. So yeah, that's, that's food for you. That's beautiful. I'm wondering, maybe you could give us a little tour of some of those ingredients that span the the ocean and span you know yes all right let's go over there i'd love to hear a little bit about some of these plants and why you're growing them and what they mean to you all right so this right here is ewa going ewa is beans in um, yoruba it's very similar to black eyed peas but it's creamier and it's reddish so it almost looks like red beans and then it tastes slightly like black eyed peas but creamier to me is mm -hmm. that is that the texture yeah. to you also yeah we use it to make rice and beans and it kind of reminds me of the red rice and beans that um, they eat here in the south we boil it and use palm oil to make it creamy and then we can eat it with rice or you eat it with our red stew 
And then beans also, the black eyed peas you use to make the fritters I was talking about called akara. You can use it to make moi moi, which is like a steamed bean cake. And you can also use it to make a soup with it. It's like a, a creamy, like milkage soup. It's called um, begiri. And it's absolutely delicious. And you eat it with pounded yam. And that's what this is, trellising on this cattle panel. <laughs> And it's also called honey bean, right? It's called honey, exactly. This is called honey beans because it's sweet. Yeah. Nice. And it, this is one of the varieties you're growing for our seed catalog as well. Yes, this is actually, this actually belongs to you guys. <laughs> These are your honey These beans. These are your honey beans. <laughs> These are our honey beans. I've just heard so much, especially from Nigerian and other West African and African in general customers, how meaningful it is to have access to these varieties through the catalog and through your collective work. Yes. So I just am so grateful that you all are able to do this. Yeah. We're so glad that we heard of you. I I believe Lydia, yeah, Lydia. told us about you. Yeah. We love Lydia. We, we miss love her. Lydia. <laughs> we miss you Lydia. She's 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 a genius she when is. it comes to growing, when it comes to you know herbalism. Mm -hmm. She's she's an incredible incredible human. We we still seek her knowledge when, <laughs> yes. whenever we can, yeah. Uh, but yeah, growing, growing beans, because there are so many varieties of, of beans and they're all, because of the taste that they have, you use them in different um, cuisines differently. And, and you're like, oh, do I have this bean? And do I have, you know, this bean? And do I have this one? And okay, so no, I don't have this one, so I can't make this meal. And gosh, honey beans is like... It's like just looking at this. Every time I come out of my house, it's the first thing that I see because it's right in front of my, my eyesight when I open the door. And I'm just blown away that it's, it's, it's amazing to me. Mm -hmm. Because 20 years ago, I mean, I hadn't seen this in years until I went back home. I hadn't seen it. I hadn't tasted it. But look, it's growing right here. <laughs> <laughs> and it's I will growing. say... I told my mom that we were growing beans. She's back in Chicago now, but she lived here for several years. Her favorite beans or peas were purple hull peas. She refused to eat black eyed peas. She's like, they don't taste the same. I'm like, they do, but whatever. <laughs> and so I told her we were growing beans for your seed company. I have the Mississippi butter beans at my house. Yeah. And she was like, please, please grow me some purple hull peas. So I'm not growing them this year because of spacing and timing and everything. But um, I don't know. We just... There's another like cultural connection between the importance of beans and having access to, to things that you can't get. Like it's purple whole peas. So, you know, it's in the U.S., but yeah. she can't find it in Chicago. Yeah. Like every time I go up, she's like, just just go to Walmart and get me some of the frozen ones and put them in a cooler and bring them. So, yeah. Yeah, that's the same way Chris has been in the past until he started growing the purple whole peas in Philadelphia. Yeah. He would li we would literally go to Walmart go to the frozen section and bring them back for our house and all the other southerners he knew wow. you know and now we don't have to do that now wow. he grows it at his farm we grow it at our farm we have other farmers growing purple hull peas just to make them more widely available but it makes sense so many mississippians went to chicago mm -hmm. that there would still be that memory and that taste mm -hmm. memory and desire for the, the exact right peas wow. yeah. so that's cool to hear one of the one of the things that people in Chicago say, they say, um, or people in Mississippi, they say that um, black people in Chicago just have coats. We're all this. We're both, you know, the same people. They just wear <laughs> coats up there. <laughs> well, I would hear I forget. I think it was Mama Ira Wallace from Southern Exposure Seed Exchange mm -hmm. who was 
talking about how when people black people first moved up to Chicago, Detroit from from the south, there would be like trucks of collard greens that would go specifically for the holidays. Wow. You know, and so people would know where to find the truck filled yeah. with collard greens for Christmas or whatever so that they could at least have the traditional food at special feasts. That is nice. That is nice. So this is our bed of hibiscus. It makes up the base for most of our herbal teas. And it's honestly one of one of my favorite things to see. It looks like okra, but you can see it has like that that red tint on the stems. And you can actually taste a leaf. Do you want a leaf? Oh, I'd love to. <laughs> Sorry, it's a little sandy. It's okay. It's good for you. Mmm, nice and sour. Mm -hmm. You know, we we work with a Burmese community. Well, they're not Burmese. They're they're Karen refugees and farmers from Burma. Mm -hmm. And they were seeking for decades, or you know, at least a decade or two, a roselle or hibiscus that they eat the leaf of in their mm. traditional meals. Oh. And they call it sour leaf yeah. in their language, chimbong. And they were doing what you were saying around substitutions for yeah. textures and flavors for yeah. so long from spinach yeah. to an African roselle or hibiscus yeah. and eventually finally finding wow. the one from Burma and Thailand wow. years later. So wow. always substituting yeah. with different ingredients like spinach and tamarind sauce. Yeah. And then finally getting the actual one. So a lot of people do eat the leaves too. But how do you use this plant? Can you describe to people who aren't familiar with it how to grow and harvest and, and use it? Yes. So like I said, it grows um, very similarly to okra. Um, we wait until it flowers. We don't harvest the actual flower. We harvest the the part that holds the flower. And then we, we dry that. It becomes hard and, and darker. And then we grind it, and that's how we use it for tea. Nice. And how, what kind of flavor and what's the kind of experience people have? It's very tart. And when you put sugar in it, it's it's absolutely like delicious and incredible. We traditionally give it to women like during the late stages of, of pregnancy in Nigeria. At least the northerners do. I'm part northern, northerner. That sounds like I'm like northerner from new york but not that yeah from like where from northern nigeria and yeah so we use that a lot and then also for like um blood pressure a lot of the the plants that we use to drink to make for teas or to make for illness and even for the spices we use for our food they're all connected to some form of ailments like cure for ailment and so hibiscus is just really big and then it's it's become so popular in in western africa that when you go for like weddings and parties they always have like bottles and bottles of it that we use to serve visitors and to serve guests and it's it's very very popular in western africa and it's 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 really good for you and it's it's just absolutely incredible and it has the really beautiful red stem and it has the flower that comes out that's red and it's just it's it's gorgeous and then we have the um white velvet okra growing beside it and it's native to alabama right yeah it's a variety that kind of is attributed to alabama of course it's african it's african exactly <laughs> it's african and yeah and okra is is okra and gumbo the reason gumbo i think did so well coming here was because and this is just my two cents or my thought and i think i'm right <laughs> is because the enslaved were taken from like 
cities that have that were kind of sitting on the ocean and i think a lot of times when they would go fish they would just cut up their okra and put seafood into it and kind of mix it up with their vegetables it wasn't it's it's an easy like making okra the way we make it is very easy and has very few ingredients and you know it has like all this nutrition because of all the seafood in it and before you know you're eating something really nutritious so i think also um speaking of overlaps that was probably an incredible connection for okra and for southern food because once again it was something that was familiar to their palate and it was something that was familiar to them as they grew they thought okay this is comfort for me i know how to make this well so i'm going to cook this and i'm going to serve this and then it became part of the southern culture mm-hmm. yeah i also want to add back to the hibiscus um you mentioned halima mentioned how um having that beautiful red drink is so common at like parties and weddings and everything and for black people there's there's also that red drink connection Mm -hmm. through the journey it's become fruit punch but hibiscus also has that beautiful red color that that you would expect so that's just another connection you know it's it's not only food it's also drinks and and music and it's everything Mm. And is that that's what you served me when I came in the door? Yes, is that correct? And it exactly. was jam packed with ginger too. Yeah, yeah. It was so refreshing. Yeah, yeah. Every time my stomach's hurting, or my mom calls me and she goes, "Oh, are you okay?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I feel kind of weird today." Well, have you put ginger in zobo and put honey and put um, pepper or cloves? Have you done that? And I'm like, "No." And she goes, "Well, go do it. You'll feel better." <laughs> in Nigeria. Before we usually go to like uh, Western medicine, we have people and they're like women and they teach your children. You see them with like buckets on their heads and they're kind of hawking on the road and they have buckets of like bottles with bottles in them and they have like traditional medicine and it's just herbs that they've gotten and different combinations of them kind of like the way we make our tea tea blends they make blends of different herbs and leaves from branches and then they boil them and then they make medicine and people drink them in the morning and it's kind of like their vitamin and so in a way that's culturally like when you speak of overlapping Drea and I could talk all day because she's southern and I'm west african and will do something and she'll go huh this reminds me of this that I'm doing and I'll go really and then we'll talk about it sometimes we end up crying Mm -hmm. because we're talking and we're talking about how our cultures are so similar and there's just no no denying that we're just we're we're related (laughs) even when she was talking about people selling um drinks on the streets I think back to you know any big city here I always think back to Chicago, you know, you always have people selling water and candy and chips and fruit on the street, you know, the street vendors. And we also have, I don't know what you call bucket boys. And they play like play the drums in the street for change. And even like the morning medicines. Now, a lot of people have moved into like ginger and turmeric shots in the morning. Mm -hmm. Um, My grandfather, he drinks, he won't tell me what it is. He calls it Laro, but it's a mixture of apple cider vinegar and garlic and there's so much other stuff in there, but I don't know what it is. And he drinks it every morning faithfully. And he swears, you know, it's what keeps him healthy and moving around. Mm, beautiful. That's beautiful, too, to think of those connections being so powerful that it'll even bring you to tears. Yeah. This personal question. Mm-hmm. But where do you think, why would it bring you to the point of tears? What is, what is happening in that moment? So something that Halima and I have talked about often is how how brutal the slave trade was 
but how the the people who were trading these humans knew how to strip them of their identity and knew how to, I don't know, strip them of their will, basically, and erase the knowledge of, you know, their past generations and knowing who they were. So when Halima and I are talking about these connections, it's like building that bridge back to the past sometimes. And if you've ever been Black in the United States, you know how hard it is to trace your genealogy and how hard it is to make it from where you are today you know, even back five generations or, you know, seven generations, almost impossible to make it back to Africa. So when we're building that bridge together, it's just so emotional yeah. because we're able to, to, I don't know, <laughs> put history back where it is or mm-hmm. just, I don't know, mend things that were torn apart. Right. These are the like living DNA tests. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Beautiful. Are there any other plants you'd like to share with us? Yes, they're in the greenhouse. Okay, let's take a walk over. Wow, it's hot in here. It is, yeah. So there's a goosey. This right here is a goosey, and it's starting to flower already. And we're just growing it for seed for you guys um, this year. And then this right here, this right here is alejo, which is also a fall and it's our green vegetable. This is Nigeria spinach. And there are different varieties of it. And the incredible thing is, for so many years when a Nigerian cooks any kind of meal that's supposed to have spinach in it, they use the regular um, spinach from the store. But this year, I don't have to. <laughs> it's the most insane thing to me. And you just you just, it's its growing right here. And so we're gonna grow the seeds. And the thing I like about um, Efo is, unlike Egusi and unlike the beans, you don't have to be a farmer to grow it. If you just have like a little pot and you put the seeds in the pot and you grow it, you have Efo and you can make a meal for your family. It's just, it's the easiest and the most incredible thing. And the joy I imagine we eating this is just amazing. And then the, this over here, this shiny, shiny plant is a wedu and we have these are all we're just going to let all of these everything in here is going to go to seed so this is going to go to seed and all of that and i have like there's a bunch back there as well mm-hmm. and it's like a shiny bright green and it looks kind of like weed mm-hmm. doesn't it oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the first time i took a picture of it to see what it was i knew what it was but the um my phone told me i was growing uh I told me I was growing weed and I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> but yeah, we, we cook with that. And it's also, um, there's a very traditional meal called abula that we, we use. We, we blend it and then it, it kind of pulls as you eat with it. And then we eat it with like bean soup and the red stew and some pounded yam. Oh my gosh, it's delicious. Can you tell people the English names for them? Do you know them? Uh, no. Oh yeah, I do. I know that this is amaranth, right? Yeah, I I have no. So Alejo is is an amaranth. It looks a lot like like Jamaican Callaloo. Yeah, it's the same genus at least, if not the same species, and it looks like a weedy plant. Like we plants like this grow as weeds in a lot of our farms and gardens, and we eat them. We we prefer the weedy amaranths to eat at our farm than the ones we cultivate. Oh, it's the best. We eat the ones that grow as weed here, though they have thorns. Oh, not not for us. Don't have thorns. Yeah, our weedy amaranths don't have thorns. That would be hard to eat. That's delicious. Yeah. So the alejo is an amaranth, a leafy amaranth, and the egusi is a watermelon. 
Yeah, so the agusi is different. So if you guys don't know this, um, watermelons actually, like okra, also originated in Africa, um, in Western Africa. And so the agusi actually looks exactly like a watermelon, but the flesh is not edible. So what we do is we take the seeds out of the core and it's very, very seedy. It has seeds almost all the way up to the very core of it. So we take the seeds out when they're completely dry and then we peel them and use them to make an incredibly delicious soup called egusi. And one of the things you can also do when you're cooking with it is use egusi. And also sometimes once in a while, if just to be different, I'll put some alejo to make because the egusi seed is kind of white. And so your sauce is kind of orangey to give it a green color. Ugu or alejo are one of the things that I'll put in it to give it a little color. Mm. And the Ewedu, in English, it's jute or Egyptian spinach. Yes. And we usually call it malachia because we first learned about it from Arab-speaking people, mm -hmm. Egyptians, Palestinians, Syrians, Lebanese, and they all call it malachia. But yeah. the one from the Middle East looks very different. Yeah, They're does. both shiny like this, but you're, the leaf shape of the African varieties that I've seen is very different. Yes, and then it pulls more mm. because... In Africa, if you cook okra and ewedu and it doesn't pull, the older people will tell you you can't cook. <laughs> and by pull, you mean it's slimy, it's right? slimy, exactly. <laughs> it's slimy. It needs to be slimy and they have to like, you know, it has to like just draw or they're going to go, what is this nonsense you cooked for me over here? <laughs> oh my God, it's hot in here. <laughs> okay, let's get out of here. Oh, there's a dog. Oh, yeah. I like how there's a wedu growing everywhere. Yes, there is. And I put I put some over there. You see them over there too? There's a batch back there. And then mm -hmm. this is all Alejo. Mm -hmm. I just dumped it all in there. I'm like, just keep on growing. I'm not going to mess with them. I wonder, I bet it's 110 it degrees in there. It has to be. It has to be. I guess your plants like it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I would love to hear how you um, prepare your ewedu. Oh, okay. Yeah, so ewedu, the way you cook it is you cut the leaves. When we were when we lived in Nigeria recently, my kids grew up in Nigeria. They would sit down with my mom and they would take the leaves off the ewedu because it's my daughter's favorite um, soup. So we'd cut it up and then put it in just a little water so it'll steam a little bit. And then we have this ewedu broom. It kind of looks like a, a broom with a handle. And then you, you kind of mash it up until it becomes kind of like the 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 leaves kind of disintegrate kind of and then you put this seed called locust beans in it mm. and it has like this intense intense oh. umami flavor and they're fermented yes they're fermented exactly mm. i have some in the house and then you put it in there and then you mix it and then you pour it over your red stew that's really spicy and it has like a tomato and pepper base and then you just eat it it's really mm. good that sounds great. That sounds really, really different from the Middle Eastern yeah. version. Yeah. <laughs> How do they cook theirs? Well, we did a whole episode on it, so I'll refer that people back to it, to it who are listening. And then he did a he did a poll and had all of us like that's right talk about how i took part in that that's yeah. right i there was a yeah, I there's did. a man researching yeah all the different uses all of this plant uses yeah, yeah exactly well i didn't interview him but I, I have interacted with him on instagram i'm forgetting his name right now i follow him i can't remember either but he's doing great work yeah okay i'm just chiming in here to say that his name is antonio tahan and i'm going to put his link tree which has lots of interesting things on it including a ted talk 
and a lot of information about Syrian cuisine and the Malchia survey that we mention, as well as a Malchia map of the world. Uh, so check out the show notes. And this is also a note to just check out all of our show notes because I put lists of the different things we talk about on each episode with links every time we release an episode. But yeah, they, the people who I've spoken to, there's a few ways, um, but usually it's a community event, stripping the leaves mm-hmm. with the kids. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everyone grew up doing that. And then either chopping it really finely, yeah, like really, really finely, that, yeah. or doing it whole or a rough chop. Yeah. And usually people do it, sounds like people like to do it with chicken. Oh, put meat in it. Yeah, not always. Okay. Um, sounds like you could do chicken, lamb, or vegetarian. Wow. And I'm not going to do it justice. I think people should yeah. go back and listen because <laughs> okay. it's not my traditional <laughs> food. And I've listened to it while editing many times, but yeah. it's usually a stew. Wow. Like a slimy, silky. Slimy we we say silky in our house oh, for really? okra and molchia. Silky, that's a good word. <laughs> silky. Yeah, because we love that that texture. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been great. I wonder if maybe we could end on like your um, namesake, the stevia, yeah. on oh, like a taste experience and a send off with stevia. the sweetness of stevia. Yeah. <laughs> who makes that sound like a like a sheep like, there are sheeps back there oh yeah <laughs> i was a impressed sheep? with it i thought it was a, a, a bird no it sounded like a sheep it's a sheep that sounds like a sheep okay. <laughs> the peacocks are really loud today oh stevia yeah so this is stevia this is our namesake just stevia we we named our company just stevia because we just use stevia to sweeten it. All blends aren't sweetened, but if they are, it's with stevia. And if you've never seen stevia, it's this beautiful green plant that grows um, kind of tall. Mm-hmm. It has these long, oblong leaves. She's kind of being dramatic because it's very sunny and like her leaves are pointing down. <laughs> but normally they're like spread out or, you know, even up if they feel like it. Yeah. If you take a bite of the leaf of a stevia plant, your mouth fills with sweetness instantly. It wrecks people's brains. Because imagine, I don't know, if you have like a spinach leaf and you bit into it and it tasted like a spoonful of sugar. Yeah. That's what it's like biting into stevia. So this is one of our favorite plants. We hate, well, Halima hates cutting it to dry it because it's so beautiful. So beautiful. And it's one of the ones that we need to the most. So when we cut it, we're like, well... <laughs> that's our baby she's gone but she grows back very quickly she um she overwinters yeah she does uh we found that out this year when yeah. we were planting something in another bed and we were like oh that's stevia, that's stevia. Back there, too. <laughs> so yeah we love stevia very Be- grateful for stevia's existence beautiful i'm grateful for your all's existence thank you we're <laughs> thank- grateful for yours, <laughs> for yours. <laughs> yeah. oh and congratulations on your big fellowship can we announce it i mean this will come out in a couple weeks at the earliest i think so so we were one of the braiding seeds fellowship people awardees (laughs) we're in the cohort uh however you work that we are so incredibly grateful we got the announcement yesterday but when this comes out it won't be yesterday and (laughs) halima was in a meeting and i was here teaching her daughter (laughs) math and I was just screaming. And her daughter was like, what's wrong with you? She's a teenager, so. <laughs> so.
So no, we're just so incredibly grateful for that opportunity. I still can't believe it. It still feels like a dream. It does. What, was, what is it? I think a lot of people won't be familiar with it. Okay. So it's a fellowship. It's an 18-month-long fellowship where you are paired with a, a mentor, and there are 10 people in the cohort, and you have the opportunity to learn about legal and financial help, making a business plan, um, farming. Yeah, um, there's a a 20-hour farming component to the scholarship in addition to an incredible amount of money. (laughs) (laughs) So it's it's just everything you need to to be successful. There's, There's money, there's education, there's exposure, networking, community of other farmers that look like you yes yes it is geared towards black people and people who support black people so um it is from uh soul fire farm so shout out to soul fire we are obsessed with them we are (laughs) (laughs) we're like when we when when we first saw the application we're like oh my gosh it's so fire (laughs) Uh, we had the interview on Friday. Um, that was like the, the second step of the application. She's like, do you have any questions for us? I'm like, yes. Do we get to come to the farm? <laughs> I like how we keep saying we. Drea is actually the one who got the. <laughs> all of it happened in Drea. Drea is the one. But I was there. We were like, we were always together. But I was like texting her and we're texting each other as, we're, as she's talking. And it's really cool. Really, we're, yeah, really, really grateful. Yes. Do you get to go there? Yes, we do. Okay. <laughs> she <Yes>. does. <laughs> oh, Halima's coming. I wouldn't dare go without Halima. <laughs> get a big suitcase to fit right. you in. <laughs> Just put me in there, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you both so much. This is so fun to see you all and to share your story with, with the world. Thanks for all you do. And, and you know, I don't know if enough people tell you this, Owen, but you have opened our yes. farm and life to to so many great things like yes. we are I'm, I will start crying and I should know <laughs> but this the seed that we're growing and all this familiarity and how all of these seeds have become children to me is mm-hmm. because of you you yes. know and getting to send it to other people is because of you and I I, I don't know what to say <laughs> I just I think about growing it and I think about Africans across this country eating it and I keep thinking in my mind, this I wouldn't have had, I wouldn't have known what to do with the seeds mm-hmm. if I had not, if, if I hadn't met you, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have known. So, thank you. You yeah. you are an incredible human. Thank you so thank much. You, you so are. much. It has even like changed my mind to when I'm eating some fruit or vegetable. I'm like, oh, I need to save the seeds from this. Yes. I would love to have this exact same thing later. Yes, later. And because um, of that. I will save this seed. Yes. And so we're actually um, going to be at a Juneteenth festival this weekend. And I don't know, I'm a little nervous because I feel like it's kind of controversial, but we're (laughs) serving slices of watermelon um, and we're doing a write up about the black people's history with watermelon and where the stereotype comes from. And I think that education component is so important. I hope people read it before they see us just passing out watermelon at a (laughs) black festival. Um, (laughs) But we're talking about, there's a a paragraph in there about the importance of seed saving, even with watermelon, because people are so concerned with profit and growing the biggest, sweetest watermelon. And so (laughs) through this work with you, I'm encouraging other people to to save their seeds. So we're not, you know, 
just growing the same variety of everything all the time. Yeah. So thank you so much. Wow, so beautiful. <laughs> I'm going to cry. It'll get lost in my sweat, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> but thank you all. That means a lot. And I'm, again, just so grateful for the partnership and to be able to come down to see my family here and, and have a bonus trip to, to see you all. Yeah. It just feels really special. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much to Halima Salazar and Drea Price of Justivia. We're so grateful for your friendship and for this interview. To all the listeners, please consider giving financial support to Justivia as they look for land to call home. They're looking for farmland. See the link in our show notes and help them get to that next step. And thank you for listening and for sharing this episode of Seeds and Their People with your loved ones. Please also subscribe and leave a positive review. Thank you also for supporting our seed keeping and storytelling work by ordering seeds, t-shirts, and more from our website. TrueLoveSeeds.com And again, please sign up for our Patreon at patreon.com slash trueloveseeds. Your support keeps the episodes coming. And remember, keeping seeds is an act of true love for our ancestors and our collective future.